You're listening to GDA Podcast, powered by GDA Speakers, now available on iTunes and all other podcast platforms with new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. GDA Podcast showcases insightful conversations from the best thought leaders, educators, policy experts, motivators, and storytellers on the keynote speaking circuit today. Want today's guest at your next event? Call GDA Speakers at 214-420-1999 or visit gdaspeakers.com. And now, here's this episode of GDA Podcast with hosts Scale and Kyle Davis. Enjoy. Am I am ready. Today's guest on GDA Podcast is Sally Hogshead. Sally skyrocketed to the top of the advertising profession in her early 20s. By age 24, she was the most award-winning advertising copywriter in the United States. Her campaigns for brands such as Mini Cooper, Nike, Godiva, and Coca-Cola have fascinated millions of consumers. And at the age of 27, she opened her first ad agency, and her work still hangs in the Smithsonian Museum of American History. Drawing upon this remarkable branding legacy, Sally developed the Fascination Advantage, the first algorithm to measure personal brands. Unlike traditional personality assessments such as Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders, Sally's test doesn't measure how you see the world but how the world sees you. She frequently appears in the national media, including NBC's Today Show and the New York Times. Named as the number one brand guru in the world, her practical marketing system now lives inside organizations such as IBM, Twitter, and the YMCA, YMCA, as well as thousands of small businesses. The Science of Fascination is based on Sally's decade of research with dozens of Fortune 500 teams, hundreds of small businesses, and over a thousand C-level executives. Her newest book, Fascinate, How to Make Your Brand Impossible to Resist, is a New York Times bestseller. Welcome to GDA Podcast, Sally. Oh, Gail, I am so happy to be here. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Well, there's there's so much to dive into here. And Kyle and I had the um, privilege of doing the fascination analysis before we came Ooh, on air Do today. tell, do tell. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this, this will be good fodder. I have a couch in my office and I was thinking, I have a maverick leader son and I'm an orchestrator. We might as well plop on the couch and just dissect that relationship for starters. Well, can I jump can I jump in and be your Sigmund Freud and talk to you about how the two of you probably get together? That would be perfect. Go and ahead. hey, hey listeners, we have not discussed this in advance. That's important. <laughs> nope. Ooh, this is gonna be fun. Picture me right now twirling my mustache. <laughs> <laughs> and smoking a now, cigar. Just as a little bit of background, the assessment you took is named the Fascination Advantage. And what makes it different than assessments like DISC or Colby or StrengthsFinder or Myers-Briggs is that it's not based on psychology. It's based on branding. It's not measuring how you see the world. It's measuring how other people see you at your best. Now, interestingly, the two of you have very different ways of being seen at your best. Um, Kyle, you're intensely creative. You love to be able to see the quantum leap. You want to be able to find the opportunity. You thrive in chaos and you resist being micromanaged. 
Gail, would you say that's true? Yes. <laughs> Nailed it, Sally. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's the thing. Um, my husband's a maverick leader, really high use of innovation. And so a lot of times these types of personalities are seen as being innovative, creative. They generate ideas. They love to brainstorm. But the problem is they get frustrated when it comes to follow through, implementation, execution. And that's where it's crucial for them to have people around them who are sim- uh, who are not similar. In other words, to have a team of diversity so that people can optimize Kyle. Now, let's turn a moment to Gail. Gail, my friend. Yes, now, Gail, there there are two ways that uh, that I know that you are are tremendously respected in the industry. The first one is the way that you are emotionally involved in every event, every client, and every speaker. Kyle, would you say that's true of Gail? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, Gail, for you, this isn't this isn't just a conveyor belt going by. It's not a spreadsheet. You, you these are living, breathing human beings that you're. You're creating relationships between speakers and clients, speakers and audiences, and most of all, with you and GDA, with uh, with with everybody involved. And that's your passion. That's that's your primary passion advantage. So you have an advantage over Kyle when it comes to connecting with emotion. But here's where it starts to get really interesting, Gail. Your secondary advantage is alert. Alert means you thrive in details. You like to protect uh, protect people from what could go wrong. You prevent problems instead of turning a blind eye. So here's what that looks like when the two of you are working together. Kyle, with your primary innovation, you like to say, what can we possibly do? There's so many options here. And Gail likes to say, let me take care of the client by making sure everything is uh, crossed off the list and uh, and documented in an Excel doc. Would you guys say that's true? Mm-hmm. That's a yes, affirmative. <laughs> I'm just laughing. It's it's so apt. It's very funny. Like I love your ideas, but I just can't take them all on at the same time. It's drinking from a fire hose with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, here's the cool thing. Um, if we had a team of Kyles, everybody would be extremely creative, but nobody would actually send out the invoices. Oh, I still do. <laughs> okay, okay, good. It, and I'm I'm glad you have Gail to be able to do it. it anytime, <laughs> anytime we're building a team, it, 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 it here's the problem that a lot of organizations fall into. They hire to replicate what they perceive as their high performers, and so teams become imbalanced and brittle. When we've measured teams inside of uh, GE and Morgan Stanley, and uh, you know some. Uh, uh, AT&T, some of the world's greatest brands, the the problem they come to us with is we've got incredible team members, but the team isn't performing either because of conflict or misunderstandings. Uh, There was a study that was just released from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, and they said 50% of the difference between low-performing and high-performing teams is the quality of communication. So... You, uh, Gail and Kyle, you've, you have an advantage. You've had a few years of history, but most teams haven't. And uh, this is a new way for people to be measuring performance and seeing how they can turbo- turbocharge results. 
You know, one of the things I like is is one of your quotes, which says, to become more successful, you don't have to change who you are. You have to become more of who you are. Can you elaborate on that? Yes. There's been a cultural movement in the business environment over the last 20 years that focuses on strengths and weaknesses. And here's the problem with that. If people are measured on the way in which they need to get better, it means only one person wins. The one person who wins is the best and everyone else is an also ran. So it creates, uh, it, it, it creates an atmosphere of competition, um, of, uh, uh, it's a zero sum game. Instead, I started, I started looking at this and I thought, you know, strengths are great, but the opposite of strengths is weaknesses. What if we could look at how individuals measure the the value that they offer in the exact same ways that brands do? My background is in branding. Uh, I, for 10 years, I worked with brands like Godiva, Mini Cooper, BMW, Ikea, Target, Nike. And what I found was the, uh, the top brands, uh, their goal is to do a focus group that gives them one adjective to describe how they are different. They don't focus on being cheaper or faster. They focus on being different in a distinctive way. The world-class brands, the, the most loved, admired, respected brands. And I thought to myself in 2006, I thought, what if we could do this for people? What if we could take the exact same process that world-class brands use and apply it to individuals and build a build an algorithm exactly the way brands do and show people how they're most likely to add value. And I, and now we've measured a million people. And what we found is people don't think they're fascinating, but once they understand those qualities that make them most fascinating, it becomes really easy for them to stop trying to fix themselves and do more of what they're already doing. Right. I love the concept of, I mean, it's such a no brainer, but I love the concept of the diverse team and playing to everyone's strengths. And I know that it's so easy, as you said, to want to hire the proven formula. Um, but having an appreciation for differences and learning how to communicate, as you said earlier, I, yes. can, I can certainly see the advantages when it comes to scaling your business. And to piggyback kind of off of that, because that, that was actually going to be something similar to, uh, to my question. When you look at companies that, you know, are maybe on the struggle bus of, of not seeing the growth that they want, or, uh, you know, they're, they're in a period of stagnation or decline, are you seeing that, you know, they're just hiring so many people that are like them because it's quote on brand, uh, and they don't have a, a, a diversity or, or variance of, um, ideas? Excellent. Excellent question. Very sophisticated. Uh, and the answer is slightly different than you might expect. It's not that they're going downhill. It's that everyone else is getting better. The world is becoming more competitive, more crowded, more distracted, more commoditized. So in, in order for you to overcome these disruptive trends, uh, here, here's, here's what you need to do. We went inside of companies of the million people we measured. We took the high performers and uh, we separated the people on the team who were getting the best results, who consistently had the highest scores and the, the best clients. And we found the high performers do two things differently. And the first thing they do differently is that they have a specific benefit. In other words, they're not trying to be all things to all people. If you try to be all things to all people, you end up being nothing to anyone. Uh, 
What these high performers were doing differently is, is if they're good at details, they focused on details, they over-delivered on details, they sought out projects and assignments and uh, challenges that required them to deliver details, and they didn't at all try to focus on being the cheerleader or the big picture visionary. The second thing that high performers did differently is they turned this into a specialty. Now, a specialty is different than a niche. A niche might be mean you know a certain software or you have a good network. I'm talking about something slightly differently, slightly different. What I mean is, Gail, you have a specialty when it comes to connecting with people. As you saw from your fascination advantage result, you score really high on passion. And that means you feel so comfortable walking into a room of strangers. But by the time you leave, nobody's going to be a stranger anymore. People feel like they can pick up the phone and call you. And that's a huge competitive advantage. Kyle, your competitive advantage is not the same, and that's a good thing. Your competitive advantage, and we'll say specialty, is in being able to look at a situation where everybody else thinks they're stuck and they don't know how to move forward. You can show them what they can't see. So, you know, kind of with that, I mean, when you're saying that, you know, somebody has to find kind of what their specific benefit is and not being, you know, all things to all people. and then in return, also finding kind of what their specialty is, is that, you know, just having a, a laser focus on, you know, what their true strengths are versus, you know, trying to, you know, if I'm not a details person, trying to focus on the details when clearly maybe that should be something I delegate to somebody else. You know, it's so easy to tell somebody, just be different. <laughs> it's like, great. You know, how am I different? Where do I go from here? And, uh, and that's where I draw upon my branding background of working with these great brands. He, uh, let me tell you a secret. Um, when I was 24, I was the most award-winning copywriter in the United States. When I was 27, I opened up my first advertising agency in Los Angeles. And when I was 31, as Gail mentioned, my work was hung in the Smithsonian Museum of American History. And the reason why I was able to accelerate so quickly as a creative director is I was, uh, what I loved more than anything, the thing that got me out of bed in the morning and made me just like, oh, I want to sink my teeth into it, is to take a brand and find the most succinct phrase that describes how that brand adds distinct value, how the brand is most likely to be loved, admired, trusted, and why people pay more for one brand versus another. And it was in 2006 that I had this epiphany what if I took this algorithm that I'd been using for a decade, working with um, uh, Cole Haan and Citibank and Aflac and on and on, what if I use that same algorithm with people? And here's what I found when I began testing. I did, a, I, I did massive market research and I found people are extremely confident, <laughs> ridiculously, inconf- ridiculously confident in their ability to drive. of people think they are more fascinating than the average person, which is ridiculous. 50% are above, 50% are below, but like everybody thinks they're a great driver. But in my research, when I said, are you more fascinating than the average person? The results were completely different. When I said, when you speak, do people remember and take action on what you say? Most people think they are less fascinating. In other words, most people think they are not fascinating, but that they're great drivers. 
And what this begins to point to is that when we can measure something like the ability to drive or intelligence or attractiveness, it's really easy to improve or, or scale ourselves. But the problem is, in a crowded, distracted, competitive, commoditized world, it doesn't matter how you see the world. In fact, quite the opposite. There's a huge disruptive force that's happening. What really matters is how does your client see you? How does your customer see you? How does your team see you? Your boss see you? How do other people see you at your best? So instead of trying to fix yourself and blend in, you can do more of what you're already right and reach that ultimate potential. Gail, like you said earlier, you don't have to change who you are. You just have to become more of who you are at your best. I, I love the at your best. <laughs> and um, it, it reminds me a lot. I've been working with a coach recently, and we talk a lot about doing versus your way of being. And, uh, and it almost sounds like when you play to your fascination strength uh, and you are more of who you are, maybe that's more focused on your way of being. Because I know, you know, you described the connected thing and that's all very true and very natural. But sometimes I get in the habit of knocking out the to-do list and I don't play to that strength of being connected. And it's so easy for our to-do list to become the master of, uh, of the time of our doing. Mm -hmm. And so here's what I found. There are certain tasks that when you're engaged in them, you feel energized, you're in the flow, you're in the zone. I'm, uh, according to what I've studied, your brain is fascinated. Uh, a, a radiologist, if they were to look at your brain when you're in a state of fascination, you are totally in a state of flow. You're in a state of, yes, you're going to have your biggest breakthroughs. My research shows that your income will rise relative to how often you're fascinated in your work. But the more interesting information is how often can you make someone else feel fascinating? And I'll give you, <laughs> you're not even going to believe this when I tell you, but I promise you this was a, it was a highly credible piece of market research I commissioned with a company named Kelton Research. Um, we, we asked women as part of our survey, uh, how much would you be willing to pay in dollar amounts if you could be the most fascinating woman in the room? I thought it was going to be, you know, $10, $20. No, women are willing to pay more than they pay for food and clothes combined if they could be guaranteed to be the most fascinating woman in the room. And 5% of them would be willing to pay $1,000 a month. Now, to put this into perspective, here's what this means. If, if a woman has a place at the table, if she has a voice, if she's acknowledged, if she doesn't feel marginalized, if she feels like what she says matters, that is incredibly significant to her. But the problem is a lot of companies don't give women a voice. Uh, a lot of companies have... Uh, the the structure is organized very effectively for uh, for uh, the the way that men traditionally communicate, but it 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 diminishes and sidelines the way that women communicate. This is part of the reason why we're seeing a crisis in talent uh, leaving from organizations. Have you been seeing this, Gail? Yes, I mean, just keeping up with your clients and where 
<laughs> where they're going and who's going where is uh, is almost a full time job. And you know what a what a brutal loss for organizations in terms of brain drain. I I graduated from Duke University and one of my minors was in women's studies. And after I graduated, I went to the University of Nairobi to do postgraduate studies. And I wanted to understand why are women so disempowered in certain environments, but not others. And I found a lot of correlations between corporate America and uh, the tribe that I lived with. I lived with an African tribe in a goat dung hut with a woman who had 13 children, no electricity and no diapers. And what I found is if women don't have a voice, they can't rise. On the other hand, the greatest way to empower a woman is to show her her highest value. If you show a woman her highest value, she can change the world. She will love you. She will stay with you. She will overdeliver and outperform. The problem is most organizations aren't built to, su- to support women in that way. What can organizations do to, to better support women, but more importantly, I mean, in, a, in a broader kind of scale, to, to show everybody kind of what their value is that they bring yeah. to the table, regardless of you know, gender or identity or anything else like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, our conversation isn't about gender. Gender is a is not my is not my main topic. Right. Um, here's what it is. <clears throat> um, um, pardon me. I have a. I live in Florida. We haven't had rain in days, and there's crazy allergies here. You can probably you. I bet you can hear the pollen falling like snowflakes. I can't. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to dub that out. But yes, I can hear it. <laughs> yes. Take a drink we, of we, water, Sally. Take a drink. Yes, thank yeah. you. <laughs> We've measured a million professionals. Mm-hmm. Five hundred thousand women, five hundred thousand men, and what we found is women have completely different hidden communication patterns. Women succeed and solve problems and have their highest energy levels and morale when they can talk through problems verbally. In other words, they go into somebody else's office, they put post-it notes all over the place, and they want to collaborate on being able to solve problems. A lot of times this is seen as being indecisive or um, uh, scattered. Because there's a, you know, there's still a lot of culture around the conversation that just come with the answer. So um, uh, in our research, we found women are three times more likely to communicate with passion. Men are two times more likely to communicate with mystique, which is all about listening. So men, men prefer to sit back in a meeting and listen, digest, and come forth. The problem is that this starts to, there's a value judgment. It's a zero-sum game. It starts to send a message that one way of doing it is better than another. So coming back to this high performance that we measured, both genders, um, it's crucial for you to be able to focus on your specific benefit and to have a specialty and then to understand how you build your assignments, your projects, your relationship, your client base, your team around that so that you get to come into work and do more of what you're already doing right feel energized in your wellspring instead of trying to fix yourself. One of the things that I want to do, I kind of want to backtrack and go to 
the, the time that you were working with brands to kind of figure out what it was uh, that they're all about. Wow, that's a lot of out <laughs> syllables in there. Um, so one of the things that you, one of the phrases that you used was to, to find the most succinct phrase to describe what it is that they do. And um, I think from like a branding exercise, you know, what can companies do, but also individuals do to, to figure out kind of what it is that their brand is in the most succinct, uh, concise, yet powerful way um, so that they can, they, they can know kind of what it is that they're putting out in the world. Thanks, Kyle. Let me give a couple of uh, just um, let me set the ground rules. First of all, the inability to keep and earn attention is a massive competitive disadvantage today. If you cannot keep and earn attention, you have a massive competitive advantage. You have to spend much more on marketing or you have to compete on the basis of price. Another example of a of a disruptive, uncomfortable trend. Every time you communicate, you're either adding value or you're taking up space. When you add value, people pay more for your opinion. They seek you out. Your business rises. If you're just taking up space, you get put in the mental spam filter. And so the solution is to to, uh, look to branding. I mean, branding was created as this genius way of being able to encapsulate the confetti of product benefits and bring it down into a a, a, a little capsule, like my, my kids love astronaut ice cream because it takes a whole gallon of ice cream and it puts in a little packet. That's what branding does. It takes all the benefits and it finds what are the most powerful differentiating qualities, not the things that make it most like other brands. Um, and so uh, by applying that, I found that there are two things you must know. You must know about yourself and your brand. In advertising, this is called an anthem. An anthem is your very highest value. If you think of an anthem song, it's uh, kind of the, the the highest level. So the first brand I ever worked on was Nike. Um, what's Nike's tagline? Just do just it. Do it. Woo. Okay, you guys know that. So when Nike says just do it, they're not talking about shoelaces and rubber. They're talking about their consumer, their their uh, their stores, their products, their uh, employees. It's you know it drives them. Uh, what's your anthem? And so in order to be able to take all this this learning and this research and these processes from these world class brands that I'd worked on, I found you know it's actually really simple. There are two parts. The first part is this. How are you different? How are you different than other people that would be considered your competition? If you know what makes you different, you're not a commodity. You don't have to compete on price. You can elevate your brand because people perceive you as delivering value that others don't. How you are different is an adjective. And an example of an adjective, which comes from the fascination advantage, the system I created, how you are different. Um, uh, Matt will, will take you as an example. How you are different, Matt, is you are pioneering. You're entrepreneurial. You love to change. You're inventive. You're self-propelled. And the more that you can be focusing on that, to, to go to clients and say, if you need pioneering ideas, I'm your guy. Or to flip it around, you might say, um, it, let's say it's a sales environment. The sales environment is really chaotic these days. Tons of new technology. 
a huge competition, ridiculous rise of uh, more products flooding the market, commoditization. But uh, Kyle, if you were to say, I can bring you pioneering ideas that no one else can, I can get you from here to there. And through this pioneering ideas that I offer you, we're going to be able to get better results that you couldn't have had otherwise, because you're simply following a model that was created back before Mark Zuckerberg was born. (laughs) That's a, you know, that's a pretty compelling positioning. And, and all of the things I just said came out of your fascination advantage report. Gail, Gail, you know, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I, there are so many, different wonderful ways that uh, I can describe the value that you add. Um, so I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not unbiased. You and I have worked on a few events together. Your archetype is incredibly rare. And the reason why is because you combine passion, which is the emotional engagement and being, you touch every single little part and you feel strongly when something goes right or something goes wrong. But you never let it just become um, like a touchy, feely, kumbaya, feel good thing. You are focused on the details. Where are we going? What are we doing? How do we get there better? And so the adjectives that describe you, your specialty, are different than Kyle's. By the way, you and I would work extremely well together. You are attentive, dedicated, and efficient. And so imagine you're, you're talking with clients, you know, Gail, do I remember correctly? You have, you've vetted 5,000 speakers. Is that right? Right. Yeah. I mean, and you vetted them. It's not like you did a cattle call and I'm honored to be one of those speakers. And the reason why is because you are attentive, you are dedicated, you are efficient. Now, most bureaus, most uh, presidents, agents, uh, they would like to think they offer that, but that's not, that's not authentically how they're primed to succeed. That is not their specialty. And for them, it would be exhausting to try to do it. So the more Gail that you can become more of who you already are, remember, you don't have to change who you are. You don't have to fix anything. The more that you can say, if you want to work with somebody in a, in a, um, uh, the speaking market's crazy. Everybody wants something new. They want an experience. They don't want a keynote. People have elephants walking on stage and flamethrowers in the hallways. And I'm exaggerating, but kind of not. If you were to say, I'm attentive, dedicated, and efficient, I can actually pull this stuff off. Then you you have already differentiated your brand in a really powerful way so that I know if I want to work with someone who's attentive, dedicated, and efficient, I can't work with anybody but Gail Davis. You know, it's funny that you mentioned the vetting of 5,000 speakers. For the longest time, that was sort of my claim to fame. Like, oh, it's 3,500. Oh, let's move it to 4,000. And about a year to 16 months ago, I woke up and went, ew, that number doesn't even do anything for me. We've got to change it. So then we, um, we almost used like a triage concept. And we put people like yourself who we have a booking history with positive feedback and we put them into a special category, which is very limited, the high priority speakers, you know, less than 700. And then we put the radar, the people that we know we're losing business to, which is another special group. And then we had to put 
a big portion of that into another category. And I say that to kind of go back to having a wake-up call and realizing I needed to be attentive and dedicated and efficient to what I know (laughs) works. And it was a shift, but I think it still plays to the same strengths that got that number. Yeah. Now, you know, I tell my team, let's lead with this small group of people that we really know. Sure, to, to the strength that Kyle has of being innovative and, you know, you can't close an eye to there may be the next greatest thing around the corner that we don't know. But, um, you know, there also comes a time where you've got so many that you need to mm-hmm. have a strategy for how you approach the list. And I think the benefit to that, I mean, if we're talking just about GDA, it's it's limiting the scope and really focusing on the quality and not necessarily the quantity. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to kind of quickly, you know, go through these speakers and say, hey, this kind of person has a cool book. Maybe I've skimmed <laughs> it or awesome two to three minute highlight video. But instead, it's these are people that we're passionate about because they're performers and we're only providing the the best experience possible. May I tell you a secret? Sure. Okay. Don't tell anyone. Okay. We'll edit this out. (laughs) (laughs) Speakers face the same challenge in that no matter how proprietary our content is, no matter how electric our delivery is, we're watching each other. And speakers can start to become a commodity. Even if you own a certain place, you have to constantly evolve. And so um, for me personally, when I get an inquiry from GDA, it rises to the creme de la creme and we prioritize it on the calendar. And I reach out and say, I want this hold. I want this. What do I need to do? Do you want me to put a proposal together? And and so my point is, just as speakers are not a commodity, bureaus and agents, leaders in the speaking industry are not a commodity. So you've achieved what, what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Have a specific benefit and then turn it into a specialty. I love that. And I think also, too, to, to your point, what prevents you and other great speakers from becoming a commodity is the, the constant improvement and the constant mm-hmm. research. So uh, my, my final question before we segue into this awesome deal that you're going to provide all the listeners, <laughs> uh, but my final question for you is, you know, What's on the horizon? You know, what's new research that that you're bringing in um, uh, that's changing the way that you see certain things? Well, if I tell you, you cannot tell anyone on my team. (laughs) Uh, We had we had two New York Times bestsellers in two years, and let me tell you, that doesn't just like it doesn't just like come off a conveyor belt. That that takes a huge amount of work to to write, to edit, to publish, et cetera, with Harper Collins. but I, I have a message that I, I really am, I'm thirsty to learn more about this. So I had a, I had a conversation with Harper Collins. I didn't tell anyone on my team. I didn't want him to be like, are you insane? Um, and here's what the message is. Most people think they are less fascinating than the average person. Like we discussed, most people think they are not fascinating. Most people think they don't have a message They think they don't have anything to offer. And so as a result, they play small. They play it safe. They don't put themselves out there to make a difference in the world. But my research shows if you show somebody what makes them fascinating, then all of a sudden they're unleashed. We did a study of 4,000 people at AT AT&T in their sales department. 
they, uh, th- their confidence and their ability to over-deliver rose 200% when we did a study with Unilever. Uh, their customer care service said that they were 34% more likely to be able to get on a call and feel confident about getting the result they wanted. So here's my point. It's not hard to make somebody feel fascinating, but nobody has the language around it yet. We know how to compliment someone. We know how to thank someone. But we don't really know how to say to somebody, you're incredibly valuable to me, and here's what you're doing right. And so the book that I sort of have in the works will tell my team it's going to be in a year, but the reality is it's going to be over the summer is named you are fascinating. And the purpose of the book is for me to, instead of me saying you Gail, here's what makes you fascinating is to say, Gail, here's how to tell every speaker and every client and everyone you love who's underestimating themselves, what makes them fascinating. I tell you, it's so exciting. I mean, it, it makes me, I, I, I really was sitting here thinking this has fired me up. It's its made me see how Kyle and I can work together to be even better than we are individually. And I'm like, I want to go out and have my entire team take this test, which leads to this offer that I understand maybe we're going to have a special code where listeners can go and um, do the rapid version of the Fascinating Advantage Assessment. Yes, this is, think of this, you know, you know, like when you go into a restaurant, you just order an appetizer instead of getting the full meal deal. Here's, here's what we would love to be able to uh, make possible. Anyone can take the fascination advantage assessment. Anyone, anyone who's listening and um, it's compliments of GDA. Um, The code, here's how to do it. Go to how to fascinate.com forward slash you, Y-O-U, how to fascinate.com forward slash you. When you do the assessment, it's 28 questions. And I'll give you a little insider uh, knowledge. Originally, it was 156 questions. It took 45 minutes. And what we found in our analytics, the same 28 questions gave us all the data we needed. So it's only 28 questions, which means three minutes. You can do it on your cell phone. And at the end, when it, uh, when you, when you log in, put in the code GDA 17, and that's going to give you free access. And the cool thing is that Kyle and Gail and I, and everyone else on the GDA team will be able to see how you fascinate Do you fascinate with details? Do you fascinate with listening? Do you fascinate with excellence or confidence? And, uh, and so not only are you going to find it out, but through the online discussion, you'll be able to see how other people fascinate. That is so awesome. We'll be sure and list all of this in the show notes for everyone. Yep. That is a I mean, thank you, Sally. That is so exciting because I know people are going to hear this and they're going to be like, well, what's my fascination? (laughs) Well, you know, isn't that the cool thing? It's like, show me, show me what I would look like in the mirror Uh if I looked the absolute best of myself without me superimposing flaws and insecurities. And what I love about it is, you know, I've heard you describe that when you understand this unique advantage, so when you understand your fascination score, people are more likely to listen to you, to remember you, and to admire you. Now, who doesn't want that? That's great takeaway. Who doesn't want that? I'll sign up. (laughs) Yeah, for only $19.99 a month. 
<laughs> just, just joking, joking, joking. Okay, cool. Well, I think that's a good place for us to wrap. Uh, look, if y'all want to have Sally Hogshead come out and tell you how you are fascinating and uh, how you should find your fascination. Thank you. I was trying to find the words uh, because I'm fascinated. Uh, you can do so by contacting GDA Speakers at 214-420-1999 or by going to gdaspeakers.com for today's transcript and show notes with the link to get your fascination advantage score. Uh, you can go to gdapodcast.com or just check out the show notes. Uh, Sally, thank you. Thank you, Sally. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to be able to partner with you guys again in the future. It's always an honor and things go flawlessly. You deliver white glove service. Thank you, Sally. Thanks for listening to this episode of GDA Podcast, powered by GDA Speakers. If you're interested in booking today's guest, visit GDA Speakers at gdaspeakers.com or call 214-420-1999. Visit gdapodcast.com and subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date and be informed of new episodes, blog posts, and more. Be sure to follow GDA Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at GDA Podcast, as well as Facebook at facebook.com slash GDA Podcast. Thanks again and stay tuned for more from GDA Podcast and GDA Speakers.